Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. I am excited to have a guest who I've been wanting to have on this pod a long time, and now we have this opportunity, taking advantage of every like spare moment during a very weird time in the hockey calendar in the hockey world. Uh, Mike Fuda, who is a longtime executive with the Los Angeles Kings, who is now, Mike, what would I say, a free agent? What would be the best way to put this? UFA. UFA, unrestricted free agent. I didn't know how it worked after July 1st or what the ruling well, was. Well, you could say that. unemployed, but UFA sounds a lot more official. No, unemployed as long as you want to be unemployed, as far as I'm concerned. Um, a UFA, an executive UFA, and we can get into this in a second because it's 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 a weird time. There's a few people in this spot. Um but yeah, so just for the listeners, so Mike was a huge part um, of building the the powerhouse Los Angeles Kings. Um, was it broke into the program, doing a lot of uh, scouting and draft evaluation. Part of the group that drafted guys like Drew Doughty, Tyler Toffoli, Tanner Pearson, that whole crew. Wayne Simmons, even that ended up being a big part of the Jeff Carter trade. Right? I'm already trying to think about that. Um, and you know, won multiple Stanley Cups. A guy that's that widely respected in the NHL circles as an executive, as a talent evaluator. Mike, thanks for doing this. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, so let me start here because it is a weird time, and all of us are trying to just figure out what our days look like. What are what do your days look like? What are you up to right now? Uh, I could not describe them any different than the old. I guess it's a cliche, but Groundhog Day. Um, yeah. It was a very, it was a very, uh, well, for me, first of all, I left out Los Angeles. It would have been early March. There was rumors like my, okay. I have three young daughters that live in Innisfil, uh, Ontario. And okay. I had heard rumors through the Canadian government that the borders were going to shut down. And I was still with Los mm. Angeles at the time. And I thought it was very important. Uh, my parents live in Midland, Ontario, that I get across the border before, well, it was still a possibility. And uh, right. I remember packing, they didn't pack a lot because I assumed I was coming back <laughs> just for the story <laughs> carries on. <laughs> but we, uh, and then um, I literally, I went to the, I went to Air Canada. I booked a flight. My flight had been canceled four days in a row. I got there. I mean, I've become second family with the Air Canada staff at LAX from the amount of times <laughs> yeah. I've flown out of there. But I literally went there and it was like a ghost town uh, that was on the Dreamliner, there was only two attendants working. Uh, I was one of five people on the Dreamliner. Uh, oh I had gosh. business class to myself, which I initially thought was pretty cool. So <laughs> you I realize saw, why. Then when I saw everybody <laughs> putting their masks on and somebody somebody rolled two bottles of water, I had this big picture of me having a couple quick glasses of wine and tipping off. And they threw me a box sandwich and a couple bo- bottles of water. <laughs> Oh I was on incubation until uh, we landed, and then I got back in Toronto, and the police came on board and uh, had us fill out these forms, and I'd heard all about it. I mean, I'd done my homework. I had a friend, uh, Blair MacArthur, who who had an empty home in King City, and I had to write down the address and quarantine for 14 days. And he, I obviously, um, he's, a, he's a great friend. He's got a beautiful place that had a gym inside, which saved my life because oh, wow. I would have lost my marbles. But my friend Quinn Moyer left some groceries outside. I did my 14 days quarantine, and then... Head up to my parents, um, 
drove past, said hello to my daughters because I still had to get through some quarantine issues before I could see them. But it was crazy. So, I mean, I got there and then and then uh, about two and a half weeks into my stay, I, I received a call from Rob Blake that I was uh, no longer going to be a member of the Los Angeles Kings, that they weren't going to be picking up my option. And I still had about two and a half, three months left in my contract. So um that was a that was a punch in the gut it was a tough emotional feeling for me i've only been a part of one nhl team and shared a lot of fond memories and success but it is what it is and then uh from that point on it was it was strange because in my position um i had initially been told that i mean teams didn't need permission to call you always in, in, in the management industry if you're getting a, a call the team's got to talk to los angeles for mission and then i you know had a Bur brian burke said he goes how do you put it you get your uh Anyways, I, I received some really nice phone calls. A couple of them were work-related. He got, he said, you're going to get about a bunch of pity, what do you call it, the pity calls where, you know, you're <laughs> the pity calls, yeah. the pity calls where yeah. everybody's thinking you're great. You're going to be only, you know, you're going to be awesome. You're awesome. You're best. You're going yeah, yeah, to yeah. be hired tomorrow. And, and those keep coming and they get to a point where you're like, this is really pissing me off. I mean, these are starting to really bother me. And then three days later, they Oh, stop. sorry if I was part of any of those pity calls. No, like, that was I take fine. It back. No, but it's, it's <laughs> because then three days later they stop and you're like, why is nobody calling? <laughs> yeah, I need a pity call. So it's, it's absolutely <laughs> So it was hilarious because it burned you know his his fond uh ways of putting things was basically describing how the thing was and then you get him throwing in a couple of good i got some great stories from guys about uh you know i remember ronnie francis and uh and berkey and and dean lombard the guys telling me different stories about how they were fired and not or their contracts not picked up and i think the one thing once you i mean i mean i'd be lying to you if you're not angry you're disappointed sure it's not the way i wanted my stay with the los angeles kings to come to an end but it also reminds you how many people's lives you've affected and how many great friends the industry and the business has brought from the players that call you from the employees that you've you know helped open doors i mean i had so many people help me open doors to get to the national hockey league and when your friends start to call you whether it's just staff, I mean, there's probably 10 or 12 people that I had hired or was a part of the hiring process with the Los Angeles Kings who were still there. And uh, yeah. it, it's just an emotional time all around. And you mean, you, you get, uh, you get angry, you get sad, you get emotional. I think you, you start chomping at the bit, but like you said, Craig, this is like no other time. So it's not like uh, I, I've always preached. And I think we always try and preach that hockey's a game where we talk about we, and you don't try and talk about I, but right. when you lose your job, you, you start to think a little bit more about I for the first mm. time. I mean, it's the first time I've ever been let go in the National Hockey League. And, and it's not in it from an ego statistical standpoint, but you've really got to you've really got to have the confidence and look at what you've accomplished and what you've done and, and, the, and the doors that you knock down to get there to know how much how how confident you are you're going to get back. And, and the only thing I'd say right now, the difference is if it was a normal hockey uh uh, how would you say a normal hockey world or just a normal yeah. world I feel pretty comfortable I'd be already I'd be have a new logo and start a new last right, time sure. but unless you're I mean I'm convinced you could be Scotty Bowman with Joel Kimball shoved up his ass right now you're not getting hired in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> no no there's not a lot of hiring going on <laughs> no, right now and, it's, I and that was the part I guess for me and that was part for me that I felt that could have been handled a little bit better given the timing of the pandemic because nobody nobody was really it wasn't really a favor to do it at the time you're doing it because it wasn't i mean i, I mean i had some really positive hockey conversations but they i mean 85 percent of them end with feuds we can't do anything till we get started till we know what's going on 
and and that's the nature of the game right now and it's uh and it, and i can look myself in the mirror and feel sorry for myself and i and, and that's not going to get me anywhere i think uh it's it's trying to be ready i've studied i mean part of the groundhog day is continuing to study i mean had i've all my draft notes ready and ready you know to roll as far as this upcoming draft i've gone over i've had uh i mean i've had some really positive uh zoom interviews you can't meet anybody so it's not like you can get over the border to sit face to face with anybody but just going over you know what i've learned what we've accomplished you know the great mentors that i've had that have you know really reconnected with me going through this as far as you know just re just it's more like it's funny when you when you're happy at your work i think you're always learning and you're evolving right. and you're you go right. in every day and somebody's you're learning something new from somebody and i guess that'd be the best way to describe and it's funny Craig, because it didn't end great with myself and dean lombardi right like in and we, you could, we were like as close as thick as thieves. Like it was, you, you could say I was his, whatever, taunted a lone ranger. I don't think there's two people. He, he connected me with Mark Yannetti and Mark Yannetti became my best friend in hockey. But Dean Lombardi and I, his mind, like I used to think I knew what I was doing in junior hockey. And he challenged me to another level to draw out different aspects of myself and my, ability to evaluate a player and, and team build and just, you know, establish character. And we decided defining a culture, but he made me such a better hockey person. And I think at times, I hope I helped make him a bit of better, better guy. But I mean, we, he learned a lot from me as well. And, and at the end, I think it was just one of those things when you've gone through the trenches together for so long, sometimes you just need a, when he, I was devastated when he got let go, but we kind of was, it's like, maybe this is good time for a fresh start. And then you kind of go your separate ways. And then you start to think about, you know how incredible and you see these teams that are winning and how much they're accomplishing and you remember how long ago it seems how far off it seems but they can't take that away from you and i think for to be able to reconnect with daryl sutter and dean and and not sit there and have one of those like there's going to be a day 20 years from now where they're gonna you know they'll have real guys and they'll have numbers up in the rafters of the los angeles kings of guys that are they've won championships there, not just hall of famers that had incredible careers and I think those are, those are the ones that are really going to set the path for what that team accomplished and to be a part of it. And then to, to just know, just, you want that next challenge. The, the problem is right now, nobody's playing hockey. So right. I, I have to be challenged getting my ass kicked on a golf course or getting <laughs> beat up at 21 by my daughters in the, in the driveway yeah. or just spending the one thing I will tell you is I'm very fortunate to still have both my parents in my life. And mm. you know what the hockey travels like for the last yeah. whatever. I mean, I laugh because I forgot what Christmas was with World Junior Championships. It's those are really the two days you go home really quickly, you unwrap your gifts, and then you decide which World Junior Championships you're traveling to. And there's really no time right. to just enjoy your family. And the one thing, I mean, I'm divorced and I don't see my kids as much as I'd like to see. It's a, it's a joint custody, but I mean, as far as my parents, it's been amazing. Like, and I'm not going to this time if there's going to be. I hope there's more than one positive out of it, but the biggest positive has been the time I've been able to reconnect with my mom and dad and enjoy them and, uh, and laugh and just share. And, and it's hilarious because my mom is the biggest Kings fan ever. Well, she's probably the biggest Mike Gouda fan, but it's led to a tributary that goes to Los <laughs> Angeles Kings. And if you were to walk yeah. into our basement, like I've had the pleasure and the humbling experience of twice bringing the Stanley cup back to Toronto. And then, our basement is literally a shrine to the Los Angeles Kings. There's pretty much a jersey yeah. of every player, 
that I they drafted, like whether it's Simmons or Shannon, or, yeah, Ron Hextall, right. guys that I've worked with. There's the banners from the parades. She's got my rings, my cups, everything. It's and it's just it's for me. It's because that just shows how much my parents love me and my mom loves me. But yeah. I snuck down and and she was taking Rob Blake's jersey off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> And I was laughing so, and I'm like, it just tells you, it's not any right because listen, you're not going to find a better guy than Rob Blake as a the personality and stuff like that. But it was funny. That's just your mom's take on things, and and she left Luke's up, so Luke's still good. But I so Luke's Luke. okay. I wonder why Luke has escaped the wrath. Now Luke's pretty good at that. <laughs> yeah, Luke. <laughs> yeah, everyone, Luke's pretty good at that. Luke. But he came out of it pretty unscathed. But it was one of those things. It was funny, and I I, I made her put it back up. Because it's part of the history. I say we're going to build a, we'll build a new legacy with, uh, you know, for our family with another organization when we get started here. But it's just a funny story based on your, how much your parents support you, whether you're Peewee Minor Adam or the 52-year-old executive that just got let go. Yeah, right, <laughs> or not renewed. Right. I like the not renewed thing. That's pretty good. Not yeah, renewed. They didn't pick up your option. That's, that's <laughs> you know, that's that's. It makes it sound like you know. It, well, you know, my, my friends. I've got a lot of very passionate friends. They don't use that term. They don't like. <laughs> the, waiting, they don't like. They've been waiting for you their years to chirp me, and now I don't get a lot of no oh renewed gosh. out of my close friends. But that's what hockey <laughs> friends are for. It's the chirping. That's right. They keep you humble. That's right. It's funny though, like for you to say that about your parents and, and having that time, like that's, I was just talking to my wife about this, like that's, this has all forced me to like stop and like, I'm just going to enjoy like today and the time I'm having with my, my parents or my kids where I always felt like I was thinking of what, what was next and what, what's to come and hey, we've got the playoffs are starting or we've got a draft and I'm constantly thinking about, you know, maximizing the future and it's really like this has forced us to stop and say okay hey what are we doing today and what you know that we wouldn't have the chance to otherwise yeah and you just said it and it's i think it's for everybody i mean it's 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 you can't help but think about it but it's it also is when you've worked your entire like i was educated as a teacher right and i never taught a day in my life i was very fortunate that i you know hockey went well very young at the you know i went played in europe came back and i was hired by saint mike's to coach the buzzers and it's, you know, kind of spear jumped into the major junior team with, with, um, with the majors there. And I quickly learned that I was not going to be a head coach and not sure. But yeah. it's not, so I was having an expansion team. I remember Sherry Baston told me, he goes, you better get into management in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> Coaching wasn't working. But, and I loved it. Yeah, but I mean, good. it was every yeah. day. It was more like, it was just, I've just incredible how much I just didn't like, it's one of those things like, Hockey jobs, it, it, they're cool to have, but if you're not prepared for them, they can, you can, it's like you're doing, uh, I said, it's like doing a hundred yard dash, the 90 yard gym. It'll, it, it'll hit you in a hurry if you're not properly prepared. And I wasn't properly prepared. I was named and I was passionate, but I wasn't ready to be a head coach in the Ontario Hockey League at 27 years old. I mean, I'm literally watching there and I brought in, I mean, thank God I brought in Mark Osborne because I was like, I was running drills and my practices look like a symphony orchestra. But it was like look more. Like, it was more like a hockey school. It was, they weren't specific right. to teaching systems and and stuff. And I mean, I was teaching the systems that I had been taught. But I mean, I wasn't, you know, people that can just switch and you know, okay, we're going to play the one two two. Why? Because that's what I teach. You know what I mean? It's, right. Not, right. it's not because you're reacting to what the other team. That's the way we were doing it. And have Mark right. Osborne come in with his mind and be such a great. Well, I, other than being an incredible human being, he was such a. For me, it was just a guy that I was just learning from, learning from. Then I realized, I mean, here I was 
going out and enjoying finding the players and being passionate about it. But then when you're on behind the bench, you feel like you're shortchanging the players from, from, from what you're really, how much better. I mean, we've got great relationships, but as far as what they need to know about how much better coaches there were out there. And then I think I learned a ton too, when I got, I mean, that was the only, when I was let go there and that was, that was writing on the board. I mean, you're 27 year old with an expansion team. I had the, the Sheldon Keith, David Frost, five some there that were. I think I, I'm surprised they had any hair left by the time they were done with me. And then, uh, and then I moved on with George Burnett, the Oshawa Generals, and I was his assistant coach, assistant general manager, and he was just a brilliant hockey guy. And that's when I started really going down the evaluation process with all the under 17s, and then it opened up some more doors, and it led to the job in Owen Sound, which kind of set the table for my my job in Los Angeles, and it was just an incredible ride. What what was the moment for you where you realized okay like talent evaluation or being an executive like this this is this is where I'm supposed to be? Uh, partially with the draft and the draft in, in Oshawa, just learning from George, uh, just because the confidence he had in me with regards to how I I think it's a lot to do with, and I think I had a lot to do with my my father and stuff like that. The ability to speak publicly speak but have substance to it and to really make kids you comfortable not because you're you're full of it or just because you make them feel, you do your homework on them and then you get comfortable and you find out i mean i think at this stage we kind of all know what a player looks like on the ice but if you can peel back the onion and find a little bit more about what they're bringing out as a person and i've it's just been something i've always think i make people by doing homework on them and just whether it's a little bit of humor and knowing about their background, they open up and you kind of have a better idea of the character of the kid you're getting as well. And, and I think that was it. And then I, I mean, he pushed me in to get involved in the under 17 program. And then when I was named director of it, I think that's when it kind of hit home because I had, I now had, I now had NHL players that were um, like, I was never going to go back and sit in a, in a room and sit there and tell everybody what it was great to be like when, you know, when in the 93 series, when we played the LA Kings, I mean, my highlight, we won the Danish national championship. I mean, I was captain York University, we won a university championship, but I, I don't have NHL stories to tell as a player. So I knew once the door opened for me as an executive that I couldn't, I couldn't shortchange anybody with my work ethic, or I had to have extra amount of respect for the game. I couldn't be out. I mean, I could have my fun, but I couldn't be, I had to be coming in bright eyed and bushy tailed, not hung over and stuff like that. And I couldn't take any shortcuts. And then I found myself now speaking at things that ex NHL players were kind of my staff, so to speak, in, in coming in. And then when you could, you realize that the, 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 you're nurturing them on the knowledge of this side of it. And I'm going to gain from the experience that they have as a player that you can't have back. And I think that's when that had that success. And then, and then you start to see when you're no longer, I mean, you're all, I mean, you're with the elite, elite in the OHL. I mean, I mean, my under 17 teams that were winning, I mean, my, the one we won the world championship with, I mean, it was like Stamkos, I mean, it was Tavares. Like, <laughs> you're like, you're rhyming off. You're literally on the bench. Like, yeah. and I was actually coaching the one year and it was yeah. unbelievable. Like I had Corey Perry, I think, on my third line. And I'm like, Jeez. and I always, I have to say, Paul Bissonnette was arguably our best defenseman. He says, I have to say that every time, <laughs> which, which says, well, I like, I like how you threw it arguably just to well, give because yourself he ended up, he ended up at that time. He was a very highly rated defenseman and he ended up being a yeah. winger and he would, this was always best, but 
it was hilarious just how even those relationships start to develop. So then when you started to build mm. teams, you already had seen the work ethic of a, of a Stamkos or Tavares or Drew. Or, and we had them all. Like you're coaching these kids and then you're managing them. And then when we won, Marty Williams, Williamson was my coach. We won, the, we won the gold medal and it was like that team was just, it was unbelievable. With Stamkos and Delzato, it was Delzato. Yeah, just yeah. insert. And, and then you see it helps you when you start to know these kids at that level. When you now, like, I, then I, I kind of moved to Owen Sound, and the first thing, it, it goes right back to what you're saying, Craig, it's not, it's easy to go into a job like that, and the first thing I could have done is hire all my buddies, right, and hire people right, that right. are going to say, hey, Futes is the boss, Futes is the boss, and the first thing I said, I got to find an NHL coach, I got to find a coach that's been in the NHL, so if I go in, and I'm either giving a life lesson or lighting up a team, I don't want the kid across me to say, well, you've never been there, you didn't know it, you yeah, know, you don't know. You're, you're just winging it. Right. You read that in a book or something like that or right, some, right. a coaches symposium. And I, I had a, it was funny because I golf with I, I went over my list of guys because I think that as a manager, that was one of the most thrilling processes too of going through the interviewing people. So I um, I ended up uh, I, I think my Scott Arneal, I had um, Billy Armstrong, who I golfed with yesterday, he was a assistant GM <laughs> Stanley Cup champion with the St. Yeah. Louis Blues. He was one I had. Uh, 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 Jeff Ward, who's now the head coach of Calgary Flames, yep. these were my, these were the guys I was interviewing, and I mean, and Jeez. then the guys like the guys like Rick Bife was like quietly trying to not ask for his autograph during the interview and stuff like that. But <laughs> it's also, and that's the thing when you start to see the people that you're interviewing and the respect they have for you, and uh, and Mike Stuthers was the other one, and it's a, it leads to the story because in Owen Sound, I was like absolutely coming into a situation where had the best ownership and the, like the best people in the world. Sherry Basson had really opened up the door for me there and George Burnett. And then I get there and I mean, their list is like, here's the, here's the list of top 10 players. And here are the two little report to and sound. And I, I had to kick down that door and re jag the culture there. And they gave me like the keys to the car as far as doing it. And I hired Mike Stuthers and part of the, the inside track on Stutz coming in was for Philadelphia. And I knew that Bobby Clark was recommending him to me. And on top of that, Bobby Clark was also, at the time, basically the sur surrogate father for Bobby Ryan, whose father mm. was in prison at the time. And I felt that if there was any way, picking seventh, I could convince Bobby Ryan to come to one sound, then the, the walls were down. And right. he had told everybody he was committed to Michigan, he was in the program, and I started that process of recruiting him quietly and then that's we ended up we ended up picking up bobby ryan number seven um uh, i remember bringing him up to owen sound on a recruiting trip in the middle of the summer and it was the sunniest day ever and tried to convince yeah. him that every day no one sound is this <laughs> yeah this is and not, typical tell, day. not tell him that he's going to be next time he comes back he's going to be ice fishing in six feet of snow <laughs> it was uh, it was an awesome experience so we, and, and it's funny because when i i remember calling his name at the, it was like a video draft and i called his name and i called him immediately and i had told the story a hundred times that the owners were like is he excited is he excited and on the other end bobby said i said hey bobby we just drafted you this and he said oh okay um i'm just playing catch outside do you mind if i call you back later <laughs> and i hung the phone up <laughs> and the owner said is he excited oh, i go he's thrilled he's yeah he's yeah he can't thrilled. wait he's just i think he just hopped <laughs> in his car and gave it everything and then i was like oh boy and then we had to recruit oh, him after harder and I, I had a good feeling with bobby clark involved that he was gonna he was gonna be with us but it was quite the process and then the rest was, I mean, then we had American players calling us to come up. I mean, 
Bobby was a star. Well, I mean, there. I'm a college hockey guy, so I know how you guys do it in the OHL with the bags of cash and all that. Don't act like it was um, all. Well, here's the best story because I mean, <laughs> I had to call Dave Branch because I knew people were going to think there was a there was bags of money in, in involved with yeah. the Bobby Ryan. So I said I had gone to a billet family in Owen Sound who had a guest house, and I said to Dave, the owner, Bobby's dad's in prison. It's a well documented story. I said his mom needs to come up during the first year. How can I make this work? And we talked about it, and it was like, well, if his mom lives with the billet family, that's the only way he can come. You know, just set something up where they're so Bobby ended up living with West Cunningham and his mom in this little cottage, which was like a guest house. And the family got an extra two seasons tickets. There was not one ounce of cash involved in the transaction. And this, by the time the story got back to the Ontario Hockey League, I had built this house on the water. <laughs> <laughs> and Bobby Ryan, Bobby Ryan was living in a mansion on the water, and it was so funny yeah. because I there was no way I was going to get through this. So I went to Dave ahead of time because obviously they wanted the best players in the league, and that was classic. Right. And then I would get it from, as I said, Mark Hunter would be like, "Oh, sure, future, giving them barrels of cash." And I said, "Listen, Hunts, <laughs> I'm running a respectable program here. You're the ones that are." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're the, the hunters. Got the, you got the players living in. I, I I remember putting up. We were putting. We were putting up. I remember David Bolin telling me after the fact, and I don't want to get Hunts call. I, I hope Hunts doesn't listen to your podcast, but uh, I don't think he does. I, so feel free okay, to say good, anything you good, want. Here. I laugh because I'm sitting there, and we're literally playing London in the playoffs, and we're putting up like my owner owned Kelsey and Mon- Kelsey's and Montana's, and we're putting up like coupons for Kelsey's and Montana's for who scores the overtime winner. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave and Bull, Dave and Bullen tells me like five years later that they had like ten grand on the board or something. Oh my gosh! <laughs> You're like, hey, you get ten percent like, off your entree. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, here you go. You know, you guys get the smoky ribs if you tuck it in overtime. <laughs> He's got, he gained so much respect for the hunters because they're amazing program, and I think Dale's an incredible coach. But that at least we've got the respect of the hunters, and yep. we're now part of the recruiting recruiting pinch. But no. Junior hockey was great. It was a great, and again, I go back to that time there with the with the, that that family. It opened the door for me, and I had they had some great, great players in the past. And we drafted Wayne Simmons and Mark Giordano. Mm. Uh, yeah, we Andre Sakura, who came. It, it was like we are now we were on board. We had Bob Sanganetti had decided to report from the United States, um, and we were. Top play. We are now loaded up with top players. Um, yeah, and it was a great run. And then, of course, I mean, it, the door that opened for me. I just signed a five-year extension with the Attack and Dean Lombardi. We had Trevor Lewis on our team, and it's, yeah. it's a little quick story. But the Trevor Lewis, I went into a, a an agency just before the draft, and I was I had noticed that. Trevor Lewis wasn't on a Western Hockey League protected list. He'd been drafted, but he'd been deleted. And I, um, I went into the office, and I ended up going down. I'd contacted the Philadelphia Flyers, who I felt was going to draft him. And the plan was for the Philadelphia Flyers to draft him, and then I was going to try and convince him to sign an OHL card and register it with the office because there was no ruling saying that you had to go through either league to do so. And... So I'm at the draft, and I Ron Hextall's now gone from the Philadelphia Flyers to the Los Angeles Kings, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting in the crowd going, "Oh boy!" So, and it leads to a funny because you'll remember the draft, Craig, because we're up there, and the Kings. Uh, so the Kings take Trevor Lewis, and I'm like, "Oh boy!" 
So I go over to Ron Hextall and I said, is this still something we can work on? I walked down the draft first time I've ever met Hex. And he said, yeah, it's something we want to talk about. And then Philadelphia goes up and it's the draft because I'm pretty sure they were going to take Trevor Lewis. And, and that's the draft where, where, where Bobby Clark walks up and forgets who he's taken. Because he thought he was taking he Trevor he was, Lewis. He was just ready to say Trevor Lewis. And he looks over and goes, who are we taking? And he ends up getting Claude Giroux. So it's a pretty funny story. Oh, my how, God. <laughs> it's a, how that's it went. great. I'd never heard that. No, it's it's hilarious. But it's, uh, it's so anyways, I end up getting Trevor Lewis. And Dean loved the fact that I'd found a loophole. Because they're he's like he just loved the fact when they had and they and the league had to change the rules now that if you so Spokane was rushing to get Trevor Lewis back on their list, but I had already read, signed him and registered him to the Ontario Hockey League. So Dean loved the fact that I found a loophole and and he goes, whenever you have to change a rule because of something you did, that's cool. So that kind of sparked <laughs> our relationship. And then Dean and I, you know, Dean and then Ron Hextall came up and we developed a pretty good relationship because, I mean, we had Berkey coming up to visit Bobby Ryan because he was with the Ducks and I was starting to force yeah. these really solid relationships with the agents. And then Hex came up and said, listen, would you be interested in, in leaving this to come to the NHL? And I was like, he said, it all happened. I remember y'all said, Hex, it all happened at Montana's. And then uh, I I was married at the time, and Dean was like, listen, come down here and interview. And I said, respectfully, I'm not just going to go as an area scout. If you have a, a better situation, I said, I'm, I got a five-year contract here. I'm in a good situation. So he said, okay, what about director of amateur scouting? And I said, that's interesting. He says, okay, come down here. We're going to interview you. Pack for one day or 30 days, because if I hire you, you got to stay because the draft's around the corner. And then he, <laughs> he pulls in, and at the time, he told Mark Yannetti that he was going to be the director of amateur scouting, and Yank tells the story. It's hilarious. So he pulls Yank in and says, listen, how would you like to uh, to be a co-director instead of just the director with uh, with Mike Fuda? And Yank goes, well, I, I wouldn't really like that at all. And he says, well, <laughs> what if, he goes, what if you're going to get a lot more money? And he goes, okay, I like, I like. It. He goes, first of all, it's not. First of all, it's not a question because we are hiring Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, you're going to yeah. get more money. So it was like, it was hilarious. And then of course, Dean and his infinite wisdom was like, uh, we started off this his first meeting. He pulls me aside and he goes, listen, you only know the Ontario players. I asked you to do an Ontario list. You've got this guy Wayne Simmons at number two in Ontario. He's not even on our list. Right. He's not even on our list. We got a problem. Right. And they, in fairness, he had, he had made a complete turnover. So everybody was scouting and they were like scattered all over the place. So I literally, my first meeting, he walks me in in front of the entire staff says, and they kind of heard that I'm going to be the new director the next year. So they're already got their backup. Like, who is this guy? And then Dean literally walks in and goes, okay, this is Mike Fuda. He's on board. He can only talk about Ontario guys. Uh, and he's got a guy at number two that you don't even on the list, and he thinks you guys are all idiots. <laughs> call me Dean. That's how he introduced me to that's, the guy. And that's so Dean. Oh my gosh, it's like and the that's most so Dean. So, he, so it's just like, oh, so he's like, so sort it out, you humps, because this guy thinks you're dumb. Right, right. <laughs> and then he oh closes, the, and then he closes the door and goes, "Well, figure it out, Peter." And I'm like, "Okay." So it was anyways, guys. So I put together this huge video thing together on Simmons and. The rest is kind of all of a sudden Simmer ends up at like nine on our list. And and we're sitting there at the draft and Dean says, well, what do you think? And I said, well, we probably don't have to take him. There was a night before actually he says, we probably don't have to take him. Nobody even knows. Simmer doesn't even know. I told Simmer I'm going to invite him as a free agent. He doesn't even think he's getting drafted. And then 
Dean just starts screaming at me again. You hump. You can never work for me. You put a guy at seven on the list and you're going to wait to the sixth round to take him. You take him right where you got him on the list. So I'm like, oh, okay. So here we are in the second round. And uh, we had a, we'd taken uh, Thomas Hickey, I think, boys. We took him at three or four, something like that. And then uh, we took Oscar Moeller in the second. Then we had a compensation pick at the end of the second. And Dean was, like, looking at me. If you don't step up to the plate here. And I said, yeah, we got to take him now. So they pushed the microphone in front of me like it was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't with confidence. I went from just kind of sitting off the side, like uh, the Los Angeles Kings take from the Osana attack, Wayne Simmons. <laughs> My phone starts blowing up. Steve Spot sends me a text. He goes, "I hope you didn't get rid of your home and Owen Sound. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> You're toast." So I'm just getting rifled from all angles. I think the only guy that complimented me was Pete DeBoer, but I learned a lesson. Dean said, "You don't right there. You believe in a yeah. guy. You put you put this." It's not you. It's just not you. You convince that whole staff with your video presentation. You know this kid better than ever. You know his character. You've done all. It. If it doesn't work out, it's not because you didn't cover every base. You put him right where he is on the list, and you don't screw yeah. with the list. And it was perfect. And Simmer almost drove off the road. He wasn't even talking. He was so pissed off at me. Thought I left him in Owen Sound to you know, yeah, to right. just draw it. And all of a sudden, he's like, "I got drafted. When? Where? Second round? Few second round? Los Angeles?" So I was like. So it was a great, it was great. I mean, and obviously Simmer made me look like a genius because they said the kid shows up, he's, you know, just blows the fitness testing out. They were yeah. actually arguing whether they're going to send him back to junior for another year. That's the kind of impact he made. And in fairness, he looked like he was 156 pounds or something like that. But I knew what he was going to do. He's going to come in, he's going to battle, he's going to fight, he's going to work, he's going to make every everybody was going to turn their head. And they, they sent him back. He never played a game in the American Hockey League. He went back, was traded, won a gold medal with the Sioux St. Marie Greyhounds. Or sorry, he played with the Sioux. He won a gold medal with Team Canada, came back, made the Kings the next year. And, uh, and I mean, he's what? He's 60 games short of 1,000 in the National Hockey League. He's been an NHL All-Star. And I, I, I mean, he's one of my best. I mean, he's the same thing. Those are the kinds of when things went down with me, when those guys called me that you just really realize how much not only, you know, I mean, I've always, it's what they do for you, but what I've done for him and how I've changed his life. Right. And he obviously put a lot of trust and faith in me, but I mean, I knew that he was never going to let me down with how hard he was going to work. And, and uh, that's, a, it's, it's fun. And I remember Dean, it leads to an up because Dean, that's when we might, you actually prefaced it beforehand because when we were really starting to turn the corner, Dean came in and he said, he knew Mike Richards, who I'd coached at the under 17 program. And Mike Richards, probably one of my favorite players in all of hockey. Yeah. He said, listen, Fuse, we got a chance to get Mike Richards. He goes, but it's going to cost Braden Shen, who was my guy in the first day. I just love Shenner and, and Simmer. He goes, we got to trade your son, Simmer. And I go, oh. I go, well, clearly Simmer's not my son, but I said, yeah. this is, this is like, it would, but that's how well, I said, Jeff way. Carter, it was Mike Richards. That's yeah, right. It was Mike Richards. Yeah, it was Mike Richards. Yeah, yeah. But it, and it ended up, but it's so Simmer and Shenner went there. And again, I mean, that's why I was so proud. Shimmer, you know, Simmer obviously became a huge part of the lore in Philadelphia. He still looks at everybody said, cause we won our two cups. And then it's funny how these players critique themselves because Simmer used to like sit here's Simmer now and Shen are tearing it up in Philly and they're starting to say, well, look at this trade. Philly won the trade and Simmer's like, well, that's bullshit. He goes, it's, you got two Stanley cups. We haven't done, we can have, we can put up all the points we want, but you got two cups in your belt. And Mike Richards was a huge part of it. So, and he was right and he was right, but it was like, and then, you know, and last year, as you said, like Shenner, Shenner and I have kept in touch since the day he was moved. And he was like, and when he won that Stanley Cup, I, he called me right after the game and 
we he said, I got one. I got one for you. So it was awesome. after the game. Uh, I went to STK and I'm just sitting there because the, everything was packed and stuff like that. And I guess yeah. St. Louis was coming in to have their rookie party. And they all walked by and Shanner, they went in the back room and Shanner gave me a pat in the back and said his lows and stuff. And he said, sorry, I got to get, we're having a rookie party. And I go to pay the bill and it's and it's like, sorry, the, that gentleman you're talking to has picked up your, <laughs> it's the, it's the that's respect awesome. and it's a little thing, but it's yeah. just those, that's, you know, you've had that kind of impact on them. And then when this thing went down with me, like Shanner's like, you know, what's going on? Like, what's going on? It's like, these guys aren't talking to me. Like, and that's when players have the, I think, and that's the ultimate thing. And you can't put it on your resume, but I think if you want to, in fairness, in my case, if you, and I've got some incredible mentors and stuff in my resume, but it's the players, you know, yeah. it's the players that yeah. tell your best story. Cause they've got, I mean, they know what happened. They know who's responsible, who was, who did the groundwork and who laid the, you know, who laid the path and did the work. And I think, and that was, what was so great about our, LA experiences because it got to a point we had such a strong development team that I you know Mark and Eddie and I and our staff we could go in and we could find somebody and we'd know oh we can fix that we can fix the development team can fix that and then you just hand it over to that team and, and we had such Dean was such a so far ahead of everybody on the development camps and the, like the baseball model of working on individual skills and all these these camps yeah. it was great um Along those lines, and I think Wayne probably fits into this. I remember, I think Lisa wrote the story, but you know, this was something you would hear Dean say, or you, you know, this guy's a culture changer, and that's you know a phrase. I think Dean's given you credit for that phrase. Like, how do you identify a culture changer when you're when you're when you're talking? Because I think that's that's the from the outside. We if we're doing a draft evaluation, we'd be like, boy, this team's passing on these guys that are putting up all these numbers or look great, and and this guy looks like a reach, but. I, you know, there's, I think that's the outside thing we can't always grasp. Well, Dean, Dean gave me, Dean, Dean gave me credit for the the term and it was my term, but in fairness, he called the yank and I am to said, it wasn't like I pulled it out of, you know, <laughs> it's like he said, we, we got to change the culture around here. And then I got yeah. into this big argument about a certain player and I, he said, what makes him different? And I said, he's a culture changer. And it, and then I just define what, and I guess the definition of that for me is there's certain players that they belong in your list in a certain spot based on what they do on the ice. Okay. And then there's other guys that do certain things on the ice, but it's what they're going to bring, what they're going to bring. And, and again, it's that Justin Williams. Okay. It's, it's the guys that have this special element. And when you sit down with them, you know, they have it. Right. And it, this is before I was in the league. You watch, there's a, there's a scene that Philadelphia is playing Pittsburgh in a, I think it might be the conference finals and the game is over. And I don't even know why these two guys are still on the ice, but Crosby and him are taking a draw. And I said yeah. to my dad, I said, Richie's going to either jump Crosby or spear him. The game's over. Pittsburgh had won the game. And sure enough, Richie, yeah. he, he just, there's a thing that you're going to do that, that it just, and he did, he speared Crosby and, and they didn't get in it, but it just, he sent the no, you might've won the game, but we're not going away. And it's, and yeah. Those are the kind of guys that you see them do that over their career. And I guess Simmer did it for me. Uh, Shenner, for me, Braden Shen had that aspect, that element. Um, but clear cut for me, Kyle Clifford is an example because yep, people, gave us, people gave us a lot of stuff for taking Cliff higher than that. And it was like we had that spot labeled for Kyle Clifford based on when I met him, I said, you're going to absolutely love this kid. Like, I mean, it's the same thing. Everything about him is throwback. His work ethic, he fights, he scores, he's a, he's, you know, he comes from a small town air. He's going to come in here and change the culture. He will hold everybody accountable in the gym and everywhere. 
and and that yeah. and he that's what he did and it's just i guess you can't but when you sit with him it got to a point we hit it off so so much that we we sat i said dean when you meet this kid and the, and the Yank hadn't met him. Marky Netty hadn't met him yet. We brought him in. And by the end of it, first of all, he almost pulled Dean's hand out of the socket, which is always good. And he had that big, but he had that, he had the dark eye, but he just was so honest. And then he basically told us he wanted to be an LA King. And I laughed and I said to him, okay, then we can't fix the draft in the Los Angeles, in the NHL, like they can in the OHL, Cliffy. So what are we going to do? I said, I'll tell you right now, you have my word. If you're available at the top of the second round, you're a Los Angeles King. And I said, and now if you get drafted in the first round, Godspeed to you because that's the, everybody's right. dream, your dream. You're not going to tell somebody. Yeah. But I said, there was only three picks before we picked at the uh, top of the first, at uh, top of the second. And the only player we had ahead of him on our list was Ryan O'Reilly. So the way that thing fell apart. So and o- you guys came close on that, by the way. Yeah, and oh, and O'Reilly goes the first pick. I think he went. There's some. The Islanders took a goalie, and I think O'Reilly went next. And then it's only Atlanta. And Dean goes, "Oh, Atlanta." I go, "We're going to be fine." I said, "Cliffy went in there. <laughs> Cliffy went in there yesterday, and basically, basically threatened to beat up one of the scouts." He told me, "I said, Futes, I got a." Cliffy was calling me, telling me who is. Like we were like walking it through. I yeah. said, who's next? He goes, Atlanta. He goes, oh, no, I threatened to beat up a scout there. You were fine there. So I said, what happened? <laughs> he goes, he goes, yeah, well, I knew if I could get past them, I'm an LA King. So the guy started kind of giving me a hard time. So I said, listen, you want me to throw you at a window? And then they kind of just quietly canceled the meeting. <laughs> so <laughs> we were sitting at the draft table and he goes, one more. And I go, we're good. He's not going to Atlanta. And I think, oh my God, I can't They took this kid from Sweden that I, I still, I was like. I'm looking never, at it, Carl Klingberg. Carl Klingberg. He, wore, he used to wear the big Lenny McDonald helmet, this Klingberg kid. And I'm like, I can't believe, no offense, Carl Klingberg, but I said, I can't believe that they just passed on. And then Cliffy could have got up and started walking. I mean, there's two guys yeah. that knew, like, by the time, well, Drew obviously knew, but uh, I mean, literally, I looked up and Kyle is already starting. To, he's already starting to shake his pants. He's supposed great. to wait for the name to be called. He was already hugging his family and making his way down. And it was like this. He just knew, it, and it was honest. He yeah. knew I wasn't gonna lie to him. And Dean loved it. And he said, "There you go." And then he comes to training camp. All of a sudden, Dean used to say, "You know, you don't know what it's like to get your ass kicked by Anaheim. They just physically abuse us." He goes, "We need guys that are not that are going to push back." And that's when we went about it. And the other and and. And the same thing that was with Tanner Pearson, I remember knowing we had developed such relationship and I had missed him. He was the last player on our list the year before. And then the next year we've got him in the first round and the guys were really struggling with it. How can you have a guy in the seventh round? Now you got him in the first. And I went, yeah, that's, that's how far he's come. I said, that's how we can't, we got to get over that. Then we made a mistake. I said, he wasn't in great shape. He was injured and stuff. We can't just say we made a mistake. We're going to look bad. We can make mistake right, but guy plays and we take him in the first. And Mark didn't want him in the first round. He loved him, but he just didn't like this. The uh, Yanetti just didn't like the feel of him being a first rounder. And we we I stood up and we walked up and it was like Tanner already was ready to go. He knew he was going to be an LA King, and 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 that worked out very well as well. Another guy, Craig, without getting is, is there's a perfect yeah. example is a guy like Curtis McDerm- Curtis McDermott. Okay? okay, and I think if you know a kid as well, and because you said how do you know a culture changer? Paul McDermott was one of my owners with the uh, Owen Sound Attack who played, and he was a complete throwback. Every guy that's ever played with him loved him as a teammate. So when I was up there, there's this little Curtis McDermott that his dad was worked like a maniac. His brother, uh, Lane, was in the gym tearing it up. And here's this Curtis who's about five foot six, 
he's got these eyes of like in the gym when he's, he's not even and over summer i come back up there and he's now like six foot two but he looks like he's about 110 pounds or something and i'm like oh my god so i watched this kid in the gym and i came back and i said dean i want to take curtis mcdermott in the seventh round and this kid was playing junior b and he was not an nhl prospect but i i just knew that he was the hardest working kid i'd ever seen in the gym he was every one of the family ended up filling out into be monsters and if he ever caught up with his body, he was going to, first of all, he's going to die in the train tracks trying to be a pro. And we brought him right. in and he was like, it was silly. We went on the ice. It was not pretty. He kind of looked a little bit like Bambi on ice because he, right. he now was, he wasn't, he hadn't grown into his, 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 uh, he hadn't grown into his body, his, his, his maturity. He was just all off. I had called him at the draft and said, listen, will you come in a training camp? And we ended up taking him uh, and bring him in. We signed him as a free agent after camp. And Dean said, you promised me this kid's not going to make you look bad. And the kid's playing in the NHL now. And he's six foot four, 245 pounds. And he's a culture changer because he'll, if, if it was back a couple years ago when you could fight and hit, he'd be making millions of dollars. But everybody on that team likes him. And the same thing he did. I mean, he, he did all the work. He wasn't going to make anybody look bad. And I mean, it's incredible. Right. He's you know, he's, he's, I would say, I mean, the other night when Milan Lucic woke me up in the middle of the night with Mark Giordano, I think we did discuss that he's probably one of those guys that Luch says, when you go into a building, you better be ready because he's that, he's that respected around the league now. Right, right. How do you balance, and we, we're, we almost got to wrap up here, but I, I, you've touched on so many things I want to get into. Um, how do you balance, like, if you're looking at a guy like Kyle Clifford, you know, you know, you know there's a certain ceiling to his game, right? Like in the second round, you know he's not going to be a 40-goal scorer. And like I'm looking at that draft, and let's say you have a skill guy like a Jacob Silverberg. Like, you sit, like I mean, either pick works. Like how do you sit there and balance ceiling? Because this is always my argument when, when I talk to teams like about draft. Like I would be trying to hit a home run with every pick. Like, like skill-wise. And I understand that's not how you build a Stanley Cup winner. Like I get that. Like, how do you balance that when you're a draft evaluator? It's a, it's a great, it's a great question, but it's a, it, I think sometimes if you have multiple picks, it's easier to take a swing on somebody that yeah. their ceilings higher. I mean, in that case, I hate, there's a guy, I can't remember his name. There was a Carl, Carl, Carl Osner. Okay. Okay. You almost watched Carl Osner in junior and said, this is exactly what he's going to be as a pro, right? right? This is exactly what he's going to be a pro. Kyle Clifford, we had as a, he's going to be a third line guy. That's going to go up and down. He's going to fight. He's going to probably score 15 in a good year, but he's going to be, he'll be your, every teammate's going to love him. So in that case, you're so, you're so sure on what he's going to bring to the table that you might take a player like that higher than somebody that you're like, there's a perfect example, like a guy that this guy might not play at all, but if he hits, he's going to score 30. Right. Right. And, right. And, and that's, and that's, that comes down to, it's the same thing picking positionally. And those are great conversations that we have. I think a lot of cases, it depends where you're at as a team. Like, I mean, I remember the one year, I think it was the Rangers, didn't have a pick for the first four rounds or something. And they took uh, the day kid out of Mississauga, yeah. who right. they thought was going to be a home home run. And he's never played a game. So it's like they they went. But you the, might as well the, take the, a this, swing if you're the Rangers, because you're well, like, well, we don't have a first round pick. Or first no, that's rounds, the thing. If you, so, if, you have, yeah. if you have one pick, I think, in fairness, I think. Without, I mean, I'm not talking out of turn, but I think San Jose did that too. And the one that they with Merkley, yeah. because yep. 
I everybody know. was everybody was running away from Merkley, and they were like, "Hey, if this guy gets it. He's going to be better than all these guys, right?" So you got to take that chance, and then, and I think that those are the conversations that are have, and then you present all the information your to your GM and go from there. But I mean, it got to the point with myself and Yank that if we if we wanted somebody and we wanted to move down or up, Dean just trusted us. That was it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's a great well, Mike, feeling. I appreciate you doing this, man. I like. There's so many things about the Kings I want to get into in that era. Like that team, I gotta say, was so much fun to cover. Well, not fun to cover in terms of interviews because you could, you know, you could run into a Jonathan Quick on a bad day or even Drew. But like in terms of watching, like that team come together and form, and they just became that powerhouse. It was I loved what like those Kings Blackhawk series in that era, and I, you know, being a part of that just must have been amazing too. To, to kind of help build it and then watch the fruits of your labor play out in real time. It was, it was beyond, I mean, obviously the fruits when you as a kid growing up, you mean when you, you're picking up that Stanley cup from Toronto international airport and they open that thing, it kind of hits home. And then, you know, and then the second time you do it, you're like, Hey, maybe this wasn't just luck. <laughs> right. This is, right. Pretty, this is a pretty good group. And we went to conference final in between. And it, I think the one thing about it that really, I mean, among other things that, I mean, especially when you go back and reminisce and Dean and I have had a chance to do that over the, it's, it's really a shame the way it, it kind of came down. It ended um, because, because, I mean, you look at now, there's a, there's a thing like nobody would ever think hockey would stop for a pandemic, right? Well, we really, we had set ourselves up to have a shot at a couple more cups and it was some poor off ice decisions that ended up striking us down. I mean, Slava Voyanov, and I, I mean, I, I love Slava to death. I mean, and I still, I visit him in Russian stuff, but I mean, Slava gets himself in trouble. Now you lose a guy that arguably was pushing Drew Doughty on night as a top right-hand shot defenseman. He was on a great contract. You know, uh, Richie gets into his issues at the border there, and all of a sudden, Mike Richards, and all of a sudden, you've got a bunch of unforced errors that have put you in salary cap prison, and you can't get out of it. And it's, a, and it's too bad, but it is... They can't take away what that group accomplished. I think it's, I think that there's times and you watch in the job that Daryl Sutter and John Stevens and the coaching staff, you know, Davis Payne and these guys, Jamie Compon and Bill Ranford, like the job these guys did, like, and to win it two separate ways. I mean, like the first, the first year we, we go in as the eighth seed and then we go up three love, three love, three love in every series. Like we were, we were up three nothing in every series and then in the you're like wow this is this is that in that i mean they were grand they were grind they weren't easy games right but you're winning right you're never at that brink and then all of a sudden i think you're over you've won the stanley cup in like 16 or 17 games or something you're like holy smokes like what happened and then the next cup the guys go three game sevens on the road win three game sevens on the road it's like and i mean and when you're on that plane and you see these guys coming up, pushing intravenous tubes up and down. They look like a mash unit, like going back and forth to New York. And you got Jeff Carter and Jonathan Quick going by with intravenous and leg leg machines and stuff. You're like, wow, these guys. And, and you look how gaunt they are when they're done and when they've put it all in. And then, and then you get, you're, you're damn right, you have every right to celebrate. But it was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable. And it was those games with Chicago. I mean, that's one thing that's been – it's not, I wouldn't say fun, but to go back and revisit that series against Chicago and all these, because everybody's got no hockey to watch. They keep re-showing the series. That's <laughs> right. just some kind right. of hockey. Some kind of hockey. Uh, it was awesome. It was fun to just watch and cover and be a part of. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was 
it was great. I miss it. Now, now I'm feeling like um, reminiscent <laughs> towards it or nostalgic for it already. But Mike, thanks for doing this, man. I, like I, honestly, there's I had I, I've, I've I've got a notebook here, and I'm like I've got a million other questions. But well, we might have to do a part two at some point. But you're you know, more than welcome awesome. to. I, no, I honestly, for me, it's been a anytime you get a chance. I mean, again, when the sport's taken away from you, you realize how much you love it and how humbling it is. I mean, uh, and that's like from a pandemic circumstance standpoint, and from a standpoint of you know going to be looking for work when we get started here. But I mean, it's anytime you get a chance to talk hockey and relive and talk about the future and how much positive you know, how many great days lay ahead. It's exciting. So yeah, I really appreciate awesome. it. Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Thanks. Take care. We'll see you around. Thanks, Craig. Take care. Bye-bye. I want to thank Mike Fuda for joining the podcast. It was awesome. And I, I know, I feel like I say this a lot, that I always want to do a part two with whoever the current guest is. But in this case, I literally have, I'm looking right now at a sheet of paper with a bunch of questions that I didn't get to. Um, we, you know, we barely even scratched the surface of the King's that, that era of them winning multiple cups and some of the behind the scenes stories there. And not only that, like I love talking draft and talent evaluation and what goes into that. And I, I could do that all day. So I'm, we're going to tuck that away and hopefully Mike, we, we might bug Mike to come back on. Cause I think, I think there's a lot, a lot more meat on the bone there. That was an easy one. Um, so thanks Mike again for doing that podcast. That was, uh, that was awesome. A couple things before we wrap, wrap up here. I do want to encourage you to check out, the Scott Burnside podcast, Two Man Advantage, um, with co-host Eric Duhatchik filling in for Pierre Lebrun. They had Doug Wilson, who was recently inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, of course, the GM of the San Jose Sharks. Doug's a great talker, great guy, and uh, it's an awesome episode, so be sure to check that out. Mark Masters, who <laughs> another fun guy, joined um, Jonas and James Myrtle on Leaf Report, so I would encourage you to check that out. And if you are a Wild fan... Always listen to Mike Russo. You, you don't even need to hear this. I don't even know why I'm bothered plugging this, but Ryan Donato was a guest on Straight from the Source with Mike Russo. So check that out. And then last thing here, um, if, you, if you're if you listening to this on the Athletic app, um, we now have it so you can leave a comment and we can engage there. And so, uh, and you guys have been doing that already, those those of you who have found it. So I would definitely check check that out. Go to the app. Go to the current episode and leave a comment if you have questions about the guest or questions about the the episode or just some feedback. And I did want – Matt B. on uh, a few days ago left a comment, left a question that I didn't get a chance to answer yet on the app. I'm going to do it right now because he said, Hi, Craig. I tried Max during one of his Q&A sections, and he's talking about Max Baltman, our great Red Wings beat writer. But I was curious if you knew why Eisman was so defensive and standoffish when asked about Blashill coming back next year during locker room cleanout interviews. Um, Jeff Blashill, of course, is the Red Wings coach who is coming back next year, whenever that may be. Um, and I don't have any insight into why I didn't see the video of Steve Eisman and whether or not he was standoffish. I will say this in general terms about Steve. Um, if you're asking him to divulge information before he's ready to divulge it in terms of future plans, um, you know, what he wants to do, and, and he's not ready to expand on that, um, I don't know if I would use the word standoffish, but he can be short. And you can ask a question 25 different ways. If he doesn't want to talk about it or he's not ready to reveal where he's thinking, um, it's not going to be a very long conversation. And my guess in this, without having seen his reaction, 
he probably wasn't ready at that moment to talk about Jeff Blaschel's situation, and so it may have come off as standoffish. So Matt, thanks for the question, um, and thank you to everyone else who was interacting in the comments. So definitely check that out. Go to The Athletic, uh, comment on the uh, podcast episode. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, of course you can get 40% off by going to theathletic.com slash thefull60. All right, that's it. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again to Mike Fuda, and have a great week.